the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. This is an episode brought to you by some freaking badass babes. Well, one badass babe. I was looping myself into that category, but let's just calm down for a second. I have on one of the absolute best female guitar players of all time. This chick She fucking rules. She's cool as all hell. What a career she has had. So many amazing accomplishments. Nita Strauss is my guest today. She is the lead guitar player for Alice Cooper. She has her own solo career. I mean, right now, she actually became the first female rock solo artist in 32 years to hit number one on Billboard's mainstream rock chart with her song Dead Inside. I mean, this chick... Man, the accolades that she has of just like the bands she's been able to play, the tours she's been on, the things she's been able to see. I mean, to tour with Alice Cooper, be around the dudes from Motley Crue, like, oh my God, such a cool career that she's had. Being in that industry, the the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, all that stuff. But she's also a massive wrestling fan, um, which is how we met. We met through her time in WWE. Uh, she would be at shows. We we get into when she played Shinsuke Nakamura to the ring at WrestleMania. And what a iconic moment that was. Oh, my God. It was so cool. I mean, Shinsuke's entrance is one of my favorites to begin with. But then you add Nita Strauss into the mix. And, oh, baby, everybody, hold on to your pants. What a time. Um, anyways, let's just get into it because Nita is, uh, I mean, I, I can I can pump her tires on this intro for the next 45 minutes if you needed me to. Um, but I don't think you need to hear from me doing that. I think that we should just get into uh, my conversation with Nita and, and learn a little bit more about this freaking cool lady. Here she is. This is Nita Strauss. I feel like the last time I remember seeing you was at Rumble in Texas. I feel like I remember seeing you like as I was going out to call a match and you were there. I've, and that was a long time ago. It was two years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, probably something like that. Maybe in Phoenix. It was Phoenix, not in Texas. It was Phoenix. Yes. 
God, that's even longer ago. Um, how have you been? How's tour? Where are you right now? Things are really good. Um, we are in beautiful Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's great to be back on the road, you know. What point in the tour are you at right now? I have actually not really been home except for the holidays since last August, believe it or not, because I have been doing Alice Cooper touring and bouncing between this and my solo touring as well. I went home for a week and a half or so around the holidays. Uh, And then besides that, I've just been on the road nonstop. So we're at about, I think, the midway point for me. I will go finish out this tour at the end of the month. And then my solo band goes out opening for Zach Wilde and Black Label Society. And then I will go back to Europe with Alice. And then I will come back here for festival season with my band. And then I think I'll have a short break before fall touring starts up. Holy shit. That's crazy. (laughs) It's wild. Do you miss it? It's funny because you saying that to me, I'm like, holy shit, like what a burnout. But at the same time, I know that when you're in it, you're just in it and it doesn't affect you as much as me hearing that sounds like it would wear you down. A little of both. You know, you definitely are just in it and you're just kind of like, you just kind of put your head down and go. Uh, It only really gets overwhelming when you think about it. You know, when you're like, oh my God. I'm going to sleep one night in my bed from now until the end of July. Putting it in perspective like that, it gets overwhelming. But once you're in it and you're just sort of like enjoying it, kind of remembering that attitude of gratitude, you know, we don't have to do this. We get to do it. And it makes it a lot easier, honestly. What is the mental switch for you? Switching from playing with Alice Cooper to then going and doing your solo stuff. How do you kind of juggle the two? Because they're pretty different roles, right? It's a whole different level of sort of heavy responsibility, if that makes sense. You know, so to play with a classic rock artist like Alice Cooper, you have to really deliver the songs the way that the fans want to hear them. You know, they're not really there to hear Nita's version of I'm 18 or School's Out or Billion Dollar Babies. You know, people want to come to the show like, yes, to see us and yes, to hear us perform. But I don't want an Alice Cooper fan to ever leave a show and go like, man, I feel like I didn't get the Alice Cooper experience. I just got the Nita show. Like, that's not what I'm here for. That's what I'm, my shows are for. <laughs> you know, you come to my <laughs> yes. shows, you get the full on Nita show. It's soloing and shredding the whole time. And like, that's sort of my responsibility to show people like what I can do when I'm out on my own, give people that big rock experience on a club tour. You know, we bring a big light package. We make a very cool visual fun, high energy show for people that might not be expecting that from an instrumental guitar players show. What a gig you have. Like you not, I mean, yes, of course, playing with Alice Cooper is like, holy shit, you play with Alice Cooper, but just like the career you've had, the trailblazing that you have done for female guitar players. Like, do you feel, I don't know if it's like the, the pressures of that, but like, what is it like being in your shoes, doing the things that you have done? Do you ever just get like reflective about it? You know, Josh and I talk about this pretty often. You know, my, you know, my boyfriend, Josh has been like sort of the, the backbone of all of this stuff happening because he has always had this, this big vision for me. And I think if I had had anyone else managing me, none of this would have happened, sort of had this bigger vision, you know, to go, Hey, no NFL team has a guitar player. Let's be the first one. You know, no one has ever played in the ring at a WWE event. Let's have you be the first one, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And it takes somebody with a big vision like that. And, you know, all I can do is really just try to execute as best I can. And as long as I can keep executing his crazy ideas, we make a great team. 
What have the pros and cons been for you guys working together like that? I mean, I can relate to a degree in the sense that John and I both have worked in the the wrestling business and whatnot, but also we've had very different jobs and we don't, John and I actually don't really overlap very often. So what is that like for you guys? It's definitely really interesting trying to put on our relationship hats versus putting on the sort of managerial, I don't even want to say client, that's a weird word, you know, but like, (laughs) you know, he, let's call it his manager hat and his boyfriend hat, you know, like, cause I really only have one hat. Like I am just the same all the time. And a lot of the time he says, you can't think of me as talking to you like your boyfriend right now. You have to think of me as talking to you like your manager right now. Like he's good you know, fucking luck. Yeah, you think, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, like he's he basically, you know, there are times when we have to separate our emotions from the conversation and just talk business, you know? And uh, that can be really complicated. That can be really hard. But at the end of the day, you know, we've been together a long time. We have been in business together a long time. We have a lot of respect and love for one another. And I know that deep down, his ideas, as crazy and far-fetched as they may seem, are always coming from the right place. So it's challenging, but it's good. Hey, guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And... You love some combat sports? Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. What was your plan? Not, I mean, obviously not necessarily the first time you picked up a guitar, but when your love was continuing to grow for being a guitar player to like being like, oh shit, I'm actually pretty fucking good at this, to like figuring out like, how to spin that into a career and what those lofty goals kind of looked like at the beginning versus the things you've been able to achieve and what's on your bucket list still. So I was really lucky to grow up in a musical family. My dad is a touring musician or, or was for many, many years before I was born. And my mom was a dancer and model that married a touring musician. So they both understand the lifestyle. So that's how we get Anita. We get this like beautiful model dancer, touring musician, and bam, there she is. (laughs) And it's just, it. I got so lucky because I started touring really young. I did my first big tour when I was 15. And um, I think if I hadn't had parents that were sort of in the business for as long as they were, they wouldn't have understood that, you know, take my summer break from high school and go out on tour for two months in a van, you know, with three other people. And having that support and having that, you know, sort of blessing to like, hey, you want to go do this, go do it. It went so far for me, really, to just being able to pursue it without fear of judgment, without fear of, you know, not without fear of rejection, because we all get rejected billions of times in this industry, but just to say, yeah, I'm going to go do it. Love a good door slamming in my face. I love it. Bring it. Yeah. Bring it, bring all the doors on because you know what? If that door slams, move to the next door, move to the next door, kicking that same door, find your way in and you say like, I'm here, see me, hear me. And, uh, throughout the last, you know, I'm 35 now. So it's 20 years. So I've been touring, you know, longer than a lot of people's careers in any field, which is 
weird, weird thing to say out loud. But throughout that time, I have always wanted to inspire the next generation, uh, especially of young girls to do what I do. And it's so cool to see the parallels between music and wrestling, because when I was growing up as a young guitar player, there were not a lot of female guitar players to look up to. There were a few, um, but there were not a lot of like really technical, really incredible, like musicianship wise. You know, there were trailblazers, there were amazing songwriters, but there wasn't really anybody that I was like, this is technically inspiring for me. You know, like I looked up to the technicians, you know, the technique guys. And now in the world of music, there's this incredible surge of amazing female guitar players. And just as this is happening in music, this is also happening in wrestling with this incredible wave of female wrestlers, you know, and nobody's having like a pudding match. Nobody's having like a tampon on a stick match. You know? <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody is telling me or Orianti or any of these female guitar players coming up that we need to show more skin or that we need to pose in Playboy or that we need to like sort of sexualize ourselves to be a woman in this industry. And it's just, it's amazing to see it happening across so many different worlds. And it's just exciting to be a part of it. It's really cool. Yeah. To like, to see it all unfolding before our eyes, because, you know, we're like the same age and seeing that time you know, when we're growing up and we have these ideas of who we want to be and the things that we want to do, that kind of was what we had to look at of like, okay, women are beautiful and they're these specimens and blah, blah, blah. But now to see the way that the shift has gone between just adding that like other talent element and bringing that other bit of like grit to whatever it is that you're doing. And it's not just this one dimensional thing. It's really crazy to see that unfold before your eyes. And I mean, yeah, even in my time with WWE, it's like you see the women that have blazed one trail and now there's this new trail that's being blazed. It's so cool to imagine, yeah, with that next generation that's coming up, the, the things that are going to be busted wide open for them now that these other opportunities are out there. It's so cool. It's so amazing. You know, I was watching, you know, we're, we are filming this on WrestleMania Sunday and I was watching pre-show yesterday and I'm sure you saw it too. There's a little girl dressed up as Rhea Ripley. Yes. And she said, she inspires me to be myself. And I was watching that and I was like, man, you know, like if I was, you know, 10 years old, like, you know, when I was 10 years old, if I could have looked at like a strong, badass role model like Rhea or like so many of the girls, you know, that are part of the women's evolution in wrestling now, it would have been so inspiring for me. You know, like I remember that moment for me was when I saw Jennifer Batten playing with Michael Jackson at the Super Bowl. When I saw her, you know, we talk a lot about representation now in this day and age and having a hero that you can look up to that looks like you or feels like you, whether that means somebody gay, somebody trans, somebody black or white, or, you know, however it is, you need somebody, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people need somebody to look up to that looks like them, that feels like them, that they can relate to. And for me, that was my first moment of that seeing Jennifer on the biggest stage in the world, you know, playing at the Super Bowl with the biggest pop star in the world, just like shredding her face off technique and chops and attitude and blonde hair. And like, that was like, I can do that. I want to do that because now she showed me that I can do that. And now Rhea and Becky and Bianca, you know, like all of these incredible women are showing the next generation of wrestling fans that they can do it too. 
Becky came out with a fucking mullet and everyone's like, hell yeah. I was so into that whole sort of David Bowie vibe that she had going on last night. Yes, it was exceptional. So cool. She's just owning it. It's so cool. But yeah, it, it is really awesome to see all these different flavors of people and seeing them succeed. And it just gives so many other people different ideas or it sparks a different thing to like make somebody's brain light up and be like, hey, that's something that I can do. And it is it's just it's really cool time. and It's a cool time to be a part of it and to witness all of that. When do we get to see you and Rhea Ripley together? Because you've got to play Shinsuke Nakamura to the ring. And that was what a fucking moment that was because not only does Shinsuke have like the best music and like the best entrance, but when you came out to play for him at WrestleMania, what was that like uh, three, four years ago? Cause you and Rhea obviously would be a hell of a tandem. When do we get to see that? Oh, I would love that. Get me and Ash Costello out Ash uh, from new year's day who actually sang her theme song. I would love that. Nothing would make me happier. Except maybe giving Becky a new shreddy Celtic invasion. I would very much enjoy that too. All of these moments. What was that like for you getting to play for uh, Shinsuke at WrestleMania? What was that day like for you? You know, it was so surreal because this is another Joshism. You know, this is something that Josh really like willed into existence because we had no connections. We didn't know anybody at WWE higher up. You know, there was no like, hey, let me call up my friend and tell him this idea. Josh just sort of like got it in his head. He had this vision. He's like, you are going to play this song at WrestleMania in New Orleans. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, how are we? And like, and you talk about the doors being kicked down, the door slamming in your face. I mean, like door after door after door, you know, we went through anybody that, you know, he could think of that he knew that had a connection in the wrestling industry. Who was your in? Who who was your in to kind of get in there? We wound up getting to Neil Lowey, who is WWE, you know, you obviously know he's in charge of all the music at WWE. And it was literally to the point where we were like a week out from WrestleMania. And he was like, we need to book flights and a hotel. Like, and I was like, they didn't even text us back. Like, this is not happening. Like, can you just stop? He's like, no, something is going to happen. Like, and we need to already, we need to be there. And so when Neil finally called, he was like, Hey, so uh, are you available at this time? And you know, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of a budget. And I was like, I'm already going to be there. You don't need to give me a flight. You don't need to give me anything, maybe a hotel for the night of somewhere nearby. And he's like, done deal. You know, if we hadn't already had that flight, if we hadn't already been there, who knows, maybe they would have been like, you know what, this is too last minute. We don't have a budget for flight. Like, you know, we'll get you on the next one. I had no idea that that's how that came together. You guys like manifested that. You didn't even manifest that shit. You just like made it happen. There were no no's. Josh willed it into existence and he had this vision. And then when Neil called me on the phone, he described this vision of Josh's like exactly to a T. Like he was like, I have this idea like of you being in the middle and like him coming down. And like, it was just, it was a, it was a surreal out of body experience of a moment of like, this is so meant to be, this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. And if that's not proof, then I don't know what is. It's one of those things where you see somebody, I'm like, oh, it's Nita. I mean, she's such a badass. You think that you'd just be able to be like, I'm going to play this person's entrance is what I'm doing. But to like know that you are still there grinding and making the things happen that that you want to happen and that Josh thinks should be happening and just like showing up, getting the flights, being in the like you are setting yourself up 
for the success of like being in the right place at the right time, but like making damn sure that you're in that place when that call comes through. Yeah. You know, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. It's one of my favorite quotes. And if that opportunity had not had come and we weren't prepared, who knows what would have happened. As a non-guitar player, it seems complicated to play his entrance. How was like you were just learning this on your own being like, hey, I'm, I'm going to know his song, obviously, in time to go in to play it. But like, what was learning his song like? You know, the song is so catchy and uh, it's not... I would say easy per se, but like, it's so catchy. There's not a lot of fast notes. Like it's a, it's a melody that obviously everybody can sing and hum because everybody sings it all the time. The more difficult thing was sort of just adapting to a completely different vibe of performing, you know, to stand out there on the ramp, you know, with 70,000 people and millions and millions watching at home and have it be just me and this huge circle of camera people, which you're obviously very familiar with. It's an intimidating position to be in, you know, especially for the first time. And I remember standing there on the ramp and it was pitch black and, you know, they were doing a video package. I was waiting for the lead camera guy to go like this and point to me to start. But then I started getting really nervous because I was standing there for like a long time. I had not been announced. Nobody knows who the fuck I am in there. Like, are they even going to care? How's it going to be? Da, 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 da. And then out of the pitch black, I hear someone go, let's go, Nita. Just like that one sort of act of like familiarity of like, okay, there's one. <laughs> one person here is excited to see me. <laughs> like, um, I don't I have no idea who that person was, but if they are listening to the show right now, just know that you totally made my day and you were probably the reason that that performance was as good as it was because it just sort of allowed me to settle back into my role and go like, oh yeah, this is what I do. It just sort of allowed me to get back into that mindset of like, I was so caught up in the unfamiliarity and so caught up in like, you know, we had done rehearsal and Vince had given me a bunch of notes. I wanted to make sure I hit them properly. And like, what kind of notes did he give you? Vince notes can be so specific. They were very specific, but very hard to understand. We ran it once and he said, I love what you're doing. He said, but when the camera pans over your head, I want you to jump. And I was like, that sounds great. Absolutely. When does that happen? Because I have no idea what's being seen on the monitors. Like, I don't know when the camera, like the above camera is doing that. He's like, when the camera goes over you. And I was like, yeah, okay, got it. But when does that happen in the song? And he's like, when the camera goes over you. I was like, okay. Oh my <laughs> God. I can like so picture this happening. In your I'm not going to ask him a fourth <laughs> time. <you know? laughs> um, and then I asked Sue, I was like, what is he talking about? He's like, I'll cue you. <laughs> like, Stu has saved my ass so many times to it. I'm like, what are we doing? And I, I like get the cue from Stu. I'm like, thank God. So then we rehearsed it again. And then I'm like, kind of like trying to look at the guitar and look at him. Like, what are we doing? And then when we did it, and if you guys watch it back, you'll see it's right when the song kicks in. And he's like, I want you to jump. And then I was like, well, how do I jump like an incline? <laughs> Imagine you bit it and you like fall down the whole ramp, which is like a mile long. Bro, I fall down on stage all the time. Like this is sort of my gimmick. Like this is my, everybody knows I trip and fall all the time. You know, like I don't even drink. I don't even wear high heels. I, I eat shit all the time. So like 
I was like, okay, the only, and like, I'm not a particularly high jumper compared to the wrestlers that you see who can like, you know, fly through the air, like a freaking cat's production, you know? So I was like, the only thing I could think of was to jump and then like land in this sort of like Spider-Man crouch thing. Oh, I, I can see it. I just pictured it. Yep. <laughs> so if you watch back, you will see the jump happens, the Spider-Man crouch lands the camera flies overhead and it was like when i watched it back i was like it's so interesting to see the mind of vince mcmahon at work because it was so much cooler than just a steady shot of me right there playing guitar it was this really dramatic moment that he absolutely orchestrated from the absolute get-go it was really really cool to to sort of be a part of that happening that was so fun for me to just relive that with you because I'm for I'm just like a huge Shinsuke Nakamura fan to begin with, but I remember being like, I want to get out there. I was dying to see you play as entrance when I knew that you were going to be there. And I don't get out there like in the crowd that often during a mania, but I was like, I have to see that in like, what a goosebumps fucking awesome moment. So cool. WrestleMania is just the best. I love it. WrestleMania, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced, you know, and I've played mm -hmm. to bigger crowds than that. But there is something really incredible about so many people from all over the world, all ages, all races, all sexes, coming together to experience something that everybody's so passionate about. You know, like I played at Rock and Rio, let's say, with Alice in Brazil. And you have 150,000 crazy Brazilian fans that love Alice Cooper and they're singing every word and like, that's amazing and we love it. But people aren't coming from... Japan, Europe, Canada, America, like, you know, everybody, every single state, every single country sort of converges into WrestleMania for this experience. And it's just this like beautiful melting pot that can never be duplicated, I think, by any other industry. Fight fans, take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, New customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get up in there, make some money. You guys can choose from the money line and the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. The app is so freaking easy to use. And when you win, you get paid real fast. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada, my home province. Let's get after it. So to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. -E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HO. NY or text Hope NY for New York, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee and visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming.
Let's take things back to you here because you talked about being 15 years old and going on your first tour. Are you like a workaholic? Super workaholic. It comes, I think, from growing up in sports. You know, I grew up doing gymnastics. I remember my first gymnastics competition. I did rhythmic gymnastics. What a fucking sport that is. Totally. It's bizarre. You look back at it now, it's you have the ribbon and the hoop and the ball and like juggling clubs and like all kinds of crazy shit. I was watching it during the Olympics and I was like, are these girls for fucking real right now? Like, dude, it's wild. So I did that from uh, basically the time that I could walk until I started playing guitar at 13. And my first competition, I was eight or nine and I had trained my ass off for years. And I went in like in the kids division and I swept the whole thing. Gold medals across the board and the overall. I was like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, and then uh, I had another competition a few months later. And at that one, I went in and I did not medal at all. And I went crying back to my coach and I was like, you know, what happened? She's like, you didn't work as hard. You got comfortable and you didn't work as hard. And that's why you didn't win. If you want to win, you have to work the way you did for the first one. And I was eight or nine. And I was like, oh, the amount of work that you put in directly affects the result that you get in so many words. I really credit that with the attitude that I continued on with, you know, for the entire rest of my life, then getting into music, then practicing guitar and getting good at playing guitars. I don't like being bad at things. So I became obsessed with the guitar and I would take my guitar with me to school. You know, you have a 10 minute break between classes. You know, I would run to my next class and I would take the guitar out and I would play for five minutes and then I go into class. And then I would sit, you know, I was a, a weird kid. I was a bit of a loner. I had a hard time making friends, you know, so I had my one or two friends and I would just sit on the bleachers with them at lunch and I would sit and play guitar. And, uh, I met the, you know, the members of my first band, we started doing little shows on weekends and stuff and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we won uh, a couple of battle of the bands and then got to do uh, an opening slot on a very small stage on Vans Warped Tour. When you're a kid and Vans Warped Tour is coming through and you get to be on any one of those stages, holy shit, you feel like you've made it. Totally. And, and it was just the most incredible feeling, you know, and the funny part about it was, you know, looking back at it now as somebody who is now a main stage player, I remember playing on this small stage that folded out of the side of a semi, you know, and the drums would go inside the semi truck and then the stage was the other side of the semi. And I would look across, you know, the valley of the festival at the big stage and go like, someday I'm going to be up there. Someday I'm going to be up there. And now I have gotten to, and now funny enough, how it all comes full circle, I'm starting sort of starting over again as a solo artist and getting on these big festivals and now playing on the small stage again, sometimes on the same day as Alice. So like I'll play at 2 PM on the small stage in the tent. And then I'll go change and then I'll come back at 10 p.m. and headline the big stage with Alice. How different do you feel after walking off the stage of doing your own solo act versus going on and performing with Alice? You know, there's an emotional connection to your own songs, always. Which, by the way, you got me so good on April Fool's, you little shit. (laughs) (laughs) I got everybody. (laughs) Fucker. (laughs) Oh, such a good one. I never do April Fool's and I felt so good about it. You said she was like doing the vocals on like one of her albums. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. I still hate April Fool's losers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I felt very good about that April Fool's joke. You know, people are still falling for it to this. It is now April, what, 3rd? 
and people are still coming. I had to go back and edit the post and say it was an April Fool's because people are like, do it. I can't wait to hear your voice. I'm like, psych, my voice is terrible. <laughs> I feel like that can't be true, though, because even just talking to you, you sound like you have like a beautiful tone to your voice. Thank you. You know, honestly, like I joke a lot about being a terrible singer. I'm not that bad. If I put a lot of effort and work into it, I feel like I could. I just don't want to. I love playing guitar. I love playing guitar so much. If I have an extra hour a day to put into something, I want to play guitar. I don't feel pressured by all the people telling me they'd rather hear me sing. Like, I want to play guitar. That's who I am as an artist. I have an opportunity to work with some of the best singers in the world. It's almost like egotistical feeling to be like, no, you know what? I could work with David Draymond of Disturbed, but instead I'm going to sing. Like, you know, why would I do that? I have, I have this amazing opportunity. If you were to take a second to like showcase Nita playing guitar and singing, what would that song be? What's in the wheelhouse? I don't even know what my range is, to be totally honest with you. Like, you know, I don't even sing enough. You know, like my my keyboard player, Kat, and my solo band is my best friend in the whole world. We'll go to, you know, back in the day when I used to drink, we'd go to karaoke and like bang out some Bon Jovi oh, and stuff. God, and, like, I love fucking nothing more than that. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, and it was so fun. But then also she's like a phenomenal singer. So like I always felt a little useless harmonizing with her because it's like, why do I even try? Because she's so incredible. <laughs> like, I'll go grab another round. I got, listen, I got the next you round, You stay up there. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fiona Apple and I will go get us some booze. <laughs> and now that there is no booze involved, I'm not doing it. <laughs> to do karaoke sober? Hell no, absolutely not. Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Couple cocktails in, I will take that mic and put on a show, but otherwise, no way. Exactly. This is kind of a random question, but having a song on the radio. So I'm currently reading Run Rose Run, which is written by James Patterson and Dolly Parton. Um, it's about a girl breaking into the music business and she's getting a song on the radio. What goes into getting a song on the radio? This last song, which is called Dead Inside, is my first real foray into the world of radio because up until this song, uh, my music was just instrumental guitar music, and that doesn't get radio play at all, ever. Like, we were on um, Liquid Metal a few times. I think we may have gotten, you know, a quick shout out on Octane or Volume through Eddie Trunk, but really, you know, like, you don't get terrestrial airplay. And going into the active rock world, going into, you know, not, you know, sort of like my home base, which has always felt like, you know, Sirius XM has always sort of felt like my home base and everybody there, you know, from Ali Hagendorf, who unfortunately is not the company anymore, but Ali and Jose and Kate and Shannon Guns and, and Eddie Trunk has always like treated me so well on Sirius XM that stepping out of that and going to traditional radio to terrestrial radio was like this huge culture shock where all of a sudden it's politics and it's this and it's that and this you have to make sure you give the right shout out from the stage in the right city and like sort of like these little things that previously in my career I would have never even known existed so it was it was a steep learning curve but it was such a cool one because the DJ community, you know, in radio is just so supportive, so ready to bring new music to their listeners and their audience that once you strip away all the politics and all the sort of like silliness of guest list or this or that, you know, 
you really get this incredible community of music fans, first and foremost, that are ready to bring new music to their audience, which has been really, really cool. The fitness side of things for you. I know that that's a huge part of your life. I know that's something that you like really put out to your fans. Um, where did you, well, I mean, obviously your love of that came from playing sports, I would imagine, right? Did it come from the gymnastics background that you've just always loved being active? When I started playing guitar, I really became fully single-minded in guitar. And so my mom has this sort of like naturally live, tiny dancer body. I'm built like my dad. Like my dad's side of the family is like tall and curvy and like, you know, uh, on the on the less lithe side, let's say. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so when I started playing guitar and I stopped exercising, um, I definitely started taking, you know, much less care of myself and I put on a lot of weight. Then I went through a lot of ups and downs in my own life. Uh, I went through a, a very serious period of, of addiction where I was living a really, really unhealthy lifestyle and I was very skinny then. But um when I, I got off of drugs, I gained a lot of weight once again. And then when I got fully sober, I stopped drinking alcohol in 2015, I sort of made a promise to myself to say, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to really take this really difficult step, I'm going to make it worth it. I'm going to get in the best shape of my life and I'm going to be comfortable in my skin again. I'm going to be happy with, with how I feel and how I, you know, like how you feel about yourself is the most important thing. It has nothing to do with this critique, this constant judging and critiquing of, you know, the world outside of your own circle saying you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too muscular, blah, 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 blah. Like you just have to feel comfortable how you feel yourself. And that was my goal. And so I started eating better. Uh, I started having my meals delivered on tour. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, I work with a company called Trifecta Nutrition, which is they will send out like a box of just like chicken and salmon and broccoli and asparagus and whatnot to my hotel once a week. And that is how I just maintain eating healthy. I have great nutritionists that I work with, RP Strength, that sort of like help me stay on track and balanced. And then I work with a coach at Team Elite Physique. And Tori from Team Elite has really just sort of like whipped my actual fitness, like my gym routine into shape. And that's been sort of my catalyst for it is just saying like, I don't know what to do now. You know, now I haven't done gymnastics since I was 12. I'm 35. <laughs> like I need to know what to do. And COVID was hard too. You know, COVID was a, a tough depressing time to be a musician. You know, you're off the road. Everything was shut down. We didn't know when we were going to go back to work. So like that was another big fluctuation for me to go on this roller coaster of food and dieting and depression and anxiety and, and all that. And uh, so just recently, I've, I've gotten back on plan. You know, I started a new Team Elite Physique plan a week ago, like literally a week today. I'm 2,400 days sober today. <laughs> Good for you. Yay. Thank you. So just, um, just really like taking care of yourself, having a selfish moment to say like, this is what I need, whether it's taking an hour to do some cardio and hit, lift some weights, whether it's getting your food, your, your healthy, nutritious food, whatever it is. It's sort of like having that bit of a selfish moment for yourself to say, this is what I need in order to feel healthy and happy and safe. What was the moment for you? I mean, you talk about having addictions with drugs, alcohol. What was the moment for you that you were like, this has got to stop and I need to, I want to get my life cleared up. I don't want to be down this path anymore. The breaking point um, again was Josh. We had been together for about a year at that point, a little less than a year. 
And it was like sort of one of those tough love moments where he said, if you're going to keep going down this path, I may not be here with you at the end of it. He didn't say, if you don't do this, I'm leaving you. But he said, if you're going to continue to live your life this way. And it, it honestly, like I was a jerk. I wasn't any fun to be around when I was drinking, you know, like I was really unhappy. I was, you know, really insecure. It's funny because I was on one of the biggest tours of my life. You know, I was on, you know, out with Alice on the Motley Crue final tour. You know, we were playing arenas every single day, sold out shows all over the world. And I was just drinking myself to death in the middle of it. And it was stupid. You know, like I wasn't even really enjoying it because I was hungover all the time. And, and I'm sure, again, there's so many parallels between the music and wrestling world. You don't realize how much you drink until you're on the outside of it looking in. Yeah, it's it's crazy how it catches up like that, where it's like, you know, it's it's easy to fall into that trap, I'll call it. It's like when you're on the road, it's like you drink at the airport, you drink on the plane, you drink in the hotel lobby, you're like, you know, after the show, you want to have a drink. Like, and it catches up so fast of being this social fun time. That's what you do when you're on the road. That's just how it goes to all of a sudden being like, how do I pull myself out of this? And can I still maintain, what, am I, how can I still be social when I'm not doing these things? It's a really weird balance to, to kind of strike. You're exactly right. And it's funny because, you know, exactly what you just described, like, oh, I'm at the airport. I'm just going to have a Bloody Mary because it's, you know, that's what you do. And then you're on the plane. You're like, oh, it's a long flight. Like, I'm just going to have a little airport class, you know, a little wine bottle, you know, whatever. And then you get there and everybody's hanging out in the lobby, you know, waiting for the rooms to be ready or whatever. You're just killing time at the, at the lobby bar or whatever. Then you finish the show and then everybody's hanging out talking about the gig. And, you know, like you have a couple of beers there. And then the next day you have a day off in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and you don't know anybody and there's nothing to do. And there's, you know. So what do you do? You go find a bar and you hang out, you know, have a couple of drinks on the day off, no big deal. And then it's not until way after all that is over and you look, you're like, oh my God, this is several drinks all day, every day. Who lives like that outside of touring people? And it's crazy when you hang out with people that aren't from that world and they're like, damn girl, you can really throw them down. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I, I will have like the occasional drink now, but obviously there's no drinking happening in our household these days. And it really is when you realize you're like, holy shit, man, I could really throw them back. Oh, it was fun, actually. Like, I was very, I took a lot of pride in my drinking abilities Same. back in the day. Like, like, I'll drink anybody under the table. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. I remember Josh and I first started dating because he he drinks a lot. And or not not anymore. Like, he still drinks here and there. But, like, when we first started dating, we were both drinking a lot. And uh, he would sort of like brag to his friends about me, like, oh, no, she can hang. She's cool. You know, you, you'll you see like, and you know what? Like, there's nothing wrong with going out, you know, like, obviously, I'm sure we both agree. Like, there's nothing wrong with going out and having a having some drinks and having a great time. But if you're somebody like, you know, myself that just really can't go out and have one and can't, you know, go out and compose yourself, it's important to also realize when it's time to stop and when you're just when you're just kind of being a jerk. It's better now. Oh my god. I know when I think of like just like argument like drunk arguments or something that you're like what the fuck was that? It's, it's so like time wasted and then like feeling bad the next day. But it's funny once your body does adjust to being like, oh, I don't have to drink to be fun or to be social. It does take a little second to be like, what do I do with my hands all of a sudden? But yeah, I think I think once you figure that out and you're like, oh, OK, this is nice. I, like, how nice is it waking up without a hangover? Oh, my God. 
a delight. 2,400 days with no hangover. <laughs> I love that. And it's also like, I'm, I feel so present on stage now too, which is, I feel, you know, like, yes, my relationship is better. My relationship with my parents is better. You know, my relationships, you know, like I've lost a lot of people that I considered to be friends out of my circle of friends. And I realized they weren't really friends. They were drinking buddies, you know, and if you're not interested in being friends with me when we're not going out and getting shit faced, I guess we're not really friends. And now, you know, I'm on stage and I can connect with so many people in the audience. Like I'm looking into someone's eyes and they're looking into my eyes and I'm like, I'm here and you're fucking here. Triple H told me once something that has stayed with me forever. He said, you'll never remember, but they'll never forget. And I might not be able to remember every single person I make eye contact with during a show every single night. If I can give people that moment of like, I'm here with you, you're poison or like whatever it is. And they can take that with them forever. That's not something I would do when I was hammered. And I was not present at all for those shows. Has the music industry changed in terms of people being more aware of their health and not not drinking all night and staying up doing God knows what to, yeah, having that shift? Because I've noticed that in wrestling a ton where it's like, those good old days of everybody hanging out the lobby and drinking and stuff like those, those really started to die down in the past couple of years. There's so many more people that just don't drink or just that they're just not about that life. Is it, has that changed on the road as well? It's exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. And it's, it's kind of like a running joke between bands where like, you know, you'll go hang out on the tour bus. And yes, there are some bands that have a good time after the show. You know, the, the guys in the Alice band drink after the show, they'll have some wine or whatever. And, um, and the guys in my solo band do as well. But it's not that like, oh my God, debauchery, you know, breaking the tour bus windows and like bringing a bunch of girls around and like all this kind of stuff. Like it just doesn't really happen in the circles that I'm in other bands. I hear about doing it, but nine times out of 10, if I go and visit another band's dressing room or go on their tour bus or whatever, like we'll compare neutral bullet blenders <laughs> and like, oh, you do kale in yours. I do spinach in mine. And like, oh, look, this is this green drink, you know, like uh, yeah. I've been doing this green drink from a company called First Form every day. And I'm like, this is the drink, green drink I use. They're like, oh, I do this one. It has spirulina. And that one has spirulina and kale and da, 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 da. And like, this is the protein powder I use. And this yeah. one blends up really well. And <laughs> I love that. When we were on the Motley Crue tour, um, we had this green drink that we were all drinking. And uh, Nikki Six from Motley Crue got wind of it. And he would come and knock on our door every single day, every show day. And he'd pop his head around. He's like, hey, you guys got that shit? it's the green drink (laughs) you know like you would think that like oh my god you got that shit it's like coming from Nikki Sigs you know what he's talking about right yeah it's the green drink it's the spirulina that's so funny it's yeah it's so funny how like things like that change and yeah I I love that okay we've covered a ton of things here uh the time is winding down but I would be remiss to not talk to you about a little bit of Frasier <laughs> so we are both Frasier enthusiasts. Um, who is your favorite character and what would you say is maybe your favorite episode? Oh my gosh. It's tough. We literally watch Frasier every Me night going too. to bed. Every night. It is always queued up on Hulu. It's my feel good. I was horrified when they took it off Netflix. I'm so glad it's on the Hulu Me too. now. Like, did you have to get John into it or did he like it already? No, he liked it already too. Did Josh like it or no? 
Absolutely not. He hated it. I had to like, I had to, I had to show him like, I was trying to find the right first episode and I, I, I blew it a couple times. And then I finally showed him wheels of fortune, the Michael Keaton one. And that was the one that got him when he, when Michael Keaton plays, you know, this like, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it, but it's the best one. Like. Frasier's so underrated. It's such an underrated show that like, because when it first came out, I, it used to come on like late at night. And maybe this is just, I've watched it going to bed for years and years and years. But it would always be on when I was like a kid. I'm like, I kind of like this show. And I would have never understood the jokes. They would have for sure been like way over my head. I don't understand half the jokes now. <laughs> like, I don't know what all the wines are and all the, you know, there's like a lot of French words I don't know. But I think it transcends all of that. You know, like it's not about, you don't need to understand, you know, the jejum of the show <laughs> to like- To understand, they're to so really, ridiculous. They're so ridiculous. And like, it's just, it's like a comfort show. It's like a, it's like a blanket, you know, and having something like that, you know, I don't mean to keep constantly going back to the road, the road, the road, but like, you know, as you know, and I know, and everybody in both of our industries knows, like you need something to ground you when you're in a different place every single day, you know, you're in a different country, you're in a different bed, you're, you know, sleeping on a bus and you're sleeping in a hotel and then you're sleeping in a different hotel and then you're sleeping in an airplane seat or whatever. And if you have a show like Frasier, you have sort of like a friend with you, you like sort of like a security blanket of like, okay, well, this is all different, but that's normal. What is your other thing? Is there something when you're on the road that makes life on the road better for you that you have learned uh, over the the many years that you've been touring? You know, I just started bringing my dogs on my solo tours. I can't bring them out with Alice, but um, when it's my tour and I'm in charge, uh, I just started bringing our dogs. And that has just like lit up our lives. You know, I have two little rescue dogs and a little rescue kitten who uh, unfortunately, our cat Pantera cannot come on the bus because she is toilet trained. And as you may know, you cannot go number two on the toilet on a tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> Don't poop on the bus. That is a rule. Hard and fast rule. Exactly. There can be no solids in the bus. So Pantera can't come in the bus because she uses the toilet and she can't poop in there. <laughs> Oh my God. That's amazing. The dogs come on, on the bus and they're just like, just our little rays of sunshine. It makes everything. Cause like, you know, I'm going to be home a grand total of less than two weeks in a, in the calendar year from last August to this August. And, you know, like my dogs are both getting older. You know, my oldest one is going to be 13 this year. Like, you know, and I was just all sad. I'm like, I'm missing them. Like they're away. What if something happens? And da, 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 da. And, um, so we we brought them with us on the last tour and they're just perfect little travelers. You know, they're both about this big, just like little balls of black fluff. They very happily go between all the bottom bunks. You know, yeah, just my dogs did that too. We took a tour bus. So when we moved from Vegas to Cincinnati, I rented a tour bus for that. And Blue, our bulldog, is like such a bougie little shit. He comes like marching on the bus. Like, of course, I've been here before. I know what I'm doing. He found his bunk. He hung out in his bunk. He shut it down. We've had Blue on a private plane before. And because he's done it more than once, he knows his way to get on there. He sits in the fucking captain chair. It is the funniest, most ridiculous thing I've ever. Like, I know it's people are going to be like, shut the fuck up. But it's so funny. 
It like those pictures make me laugh so hard. Him just like thinking he deserves this treatment. Oh yes, I will send you pictures of my two dogs in the the driver's chair of the bus as well. Like, and they're just like, yeah, and like, <laughs> where's my green juice? Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, I love it. Well, Nita, it's been so fun getting to talk to you, have you on the show, and take a little trip down memory lane of of your WrestleMania moment and learning about life on the road for you. But I can't wait to watch you continue to rise and continue to do so many amazing and badass things and. To go from the this, this side stage with your solo gig, moving on to that main stage, it will happen. And uh, I can't wait to see what other kind of things you and Josh drum up together. Thank you so much. It is always such a pleasure chatting with you. I feel like this is the longest conversation we've ever gotten to have, which is just a shame. I know. We're always passing each other in a hallway like, hey, how's it going? We never get like this time. It's funny. I find that a lot of times when I hop off, like even from people that like I spent years with on the road that I'm like, man, we just had like got to really talk there. You just don't have time like this really ever during the day at a show or whatever to, to shoot the shit like this. So it's always really nice to like actually get to talk for a little bit. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your tour. Enjoy um, South Dakota. Yes. I'm sure it's going to be good to you. <laughs> they, they always are. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you soon. A big thanks to Nita for hanging out with me, taking the time. I know it's not always easy when you're on the road and going from town to town. You're in Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls. The home of Shanna Basin. Funny when you like just like randomly know information like that and it just like won't leave your brain. It's so weird. Um, isn't Hacksaw from Sioux Falls? Is that right? Googling this as I'm wrapping this up. Let me see. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Glen Falls, damn it. Glen Falls, New York, not Sioux Falls. Idiot, stupid idiot. Anyways, um, thank you to Nita for, for hanging out with me and, uh, and joining me on the show. Cool chick, man. She rules. Make sure to check out all of her stuff. Um, if she if you, she happens to be coming through one of your towns uh, with, with Alice Cooper, definitely go check her out. You want to see this chick fucking shred. And yeah, check out her song. Check out Dead Inside hell of a song the first female rock solo artist in 32 years to hit number one on billboard's mainstream rock chart uh, with that song dead inside so check that out um you guys know what to do make sure to go over to the youtube page if you want to see this little eye candy for you as we have some cool chit chats and uh yep check out the youtube search my name renee paquette search for the sessions it's all on there uh go on there and subscribe though hit that hit that button hit the subscribe we love being able to pump out more content on there. Actually, Emilio and I, we just did a YouTube live right after WrestleMania. And I think that that's something we should start doing a little bit more. It's really fun to be able to go on there and be live and we can stream with you guys. You can come hang out. We can all be in the chat together, uh, make it feel like a, I mean, it would be a cool live show. So that's something that we should do in the future. More of that coming your way. So go over there and subscribe, uh, turn on your notifications and all that so that you can be on in the know. So, uh, you know, when we're going live, all right, guys, until next time, this has been Les Sessions.